Hey guys, Scott Devine here from scottsbasselessons.com again, and I'm back with another episode of the SBL podcast. This week, we've got the amazing Ariana Cap with us, who I met actually out in Germany a few years ago at uh, one of the Warwick events, Warwick Bases. They do a yearly event out there. Super cool. You should go if you get the chance. And we met there, um, just hung out. She'd just written a book about theory for bass players, which you should definitely check out. And we do talk about that in the interview. And remember, guys, if you are an Academy member over at scottsbasslessons.com, Ariana is a regular visiting artist there. She does live stream seminars from the Academy. And if you are an Academy member, you can also access all of her past live seminars that she's done and she's you know she's talked about theory she's talked about reading she's talked about navigating the fretboard really really juicy stuff so if you are an academy member make sure you check those out in the academy seminar archive now if you're listening to the podcast on itunes i'll send you all of my bass love if you subscribe and leave a review as that really helps us get the word out about these interviews guys and i really think there's so much to be learned from listening to great bass players such as the guests that we have on the show and if you're listening to this anywhere else other than scottsbasslessons.com make sure you shoot over to the site and check out the show notes for this episode as i've put some fantastic videos up of Mo in there so you can check those out okay now if you're completely new to scott's bass lessons go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit okay scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit i put some really cool video resources that you can download on there and check out like a bass buyer's guide we've got um, a video where i talk about how to get gigs great gigs wherever you are in the world so if you're moving to a new city or you're trying to break into the scene where you are i give you some great tips for that we've got a understanding the modes mini course we've got a backing track library there's loads of stuff in there it's totally free for you to download just go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit and also remember if you're an academy member over at scottsbasslessons.com you can watch the entire video version of this interview as well okay we film the entire thing as we do with all our podcasts we film all of them and if you're not already an Academy member, just go and check it out over at scottsbasslessons.com. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world. The step-by-step courses, live seminars every week, the largest online bass educational community in the world. And those guys are so, so supportive and tons more. The whole nine yards. And we have a completely free 14-day trial for you as well. So you can take it for a test drive just to see if it's for you. And if you find it isn't, no sweat, you can cancel your account within the click of two buttons. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hey guys, how are you doing? It's Scott Devine here from Scott's Bass Lessons Podcast and obviously scottsbasslessons.com. And I'm here today with the amazing Ariana Cap. Got it that time, Hello, Ariana. good morning. I've got, to tell them the, I've got to tell them the story that I've been pronouncing Ariana's name wrong for a year. A full <laughs> year. So if anybody's heard me talking about Ariane Cap, it's actually Ariana. So huge apologies, Ariana. But Ariane is a good. nice name as well, I've got to say, you know, it both is cool. <laughs> But <laughs> Ariana, Scott, Ariana, yeah. it, it, it depends on what you want from me if I listen or not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Ariana and I met a year ago in Germany at the Warwick Base Day thing that they put on every year. It's really cool, actually. If you go to, yeah. if you, if you want to go to an epic week, check out the Warwick. What's it called? Warwick. 
base uh, base camp or base, base camp yeah yeah it's super camp. cool isn't it it's awesome like, great it's experience cool. who was yeah. there last year uh, Abriel Laboreal, man, I'm coming to the airport. I'll never forget that. Like, you know, totally jet lagged, you know, my sweatpants. And there's Abe Laboreal, Billy Sheehan, uh, was it Stu Ham, yeah. Robin Bramlett, you know, and I'm like, okay, I have arrived, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we were all like looking around, where are you? Are you oh, you, you're going to the base camp, right? <laughs> you know? It's so bizarre, it isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, beautiful nature and base lessons back to back with people and amazing fireworks and a huge celebration and there were lots of beer like, oh, there was for me anyway beer. i'm not sure about anybody else but there was lots of beer for me uh, <laughs> and a huge hangover the next day i've been for the last three years are you going this year or not i'm going absolutely I'm yeah going. i'm going, going as well yeah, yeah i'm going yeah, as well. awesome very yeah, cool yeah, it's yeah. gonna be awesome anyway so like, just to give people an introduction to ariana um you know, I know you, about your background. I know that you were in, you know, you went to, you studied in Vienna and then later on over in Miami and, you know, and now you're living in San Francisco. But for everybody that is new to you and wants to find out a bit more about your background, how did you actually get into the bass in the first place? Because it wasn't your first instrument, was it? No, it wasn't. I actually come from classical music. So, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in a family that was not very open to any kind of modern music. So it was actually kind of even frowned upon, you know, then of course that meant it had to interest me. <laughs> but but um, they were, my grandfather was a conductor and my mom was into classical music and my brother was playing piano. So I was, you know, wow. immersed into, you know, piano, flute, recorder, all of that sort of thing it from like a very, very early childhood, age. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then bass came much later when I was 18, actually, I went to the U.S. to be an au pair girl. I just, you know, wanted to really, yeah, cut my teeth in the whole big wide world, you know, and then I, I ended up hanging out with the hippies on Harvard Square. And, you know, somebody gave me a guitar and everybody was jamming, you know, we were just having a blast, you know, 18 years old. And um, and I could I could pick it up pretty much immediately because I had all this theory background and I had you know it's like oh okay I can I can, I can figure that out yeah you know? yeah yeah so we were playing all day long and I I got exposed to jazz to pop to rock to funk you know and I was just soaking it up I mean it was just an amazing experience and then after that year I went back to Austria and you know continued with what I thought was going to be my program, which was science. You know, they're all scientists in my family. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I took to the whole master's in marine biology and, you know, immunology, studied all that wow. stuff. And when I was done, but during that time, I started playing in bands. And uh, when I was, when I got my master's, I turned right back around. <laughs> Where's the music department, you know? Did you know that you so, were going to do that? I mean, during the time where I was starting to play bands and then uh, I had a teacher who just saw a lot of talent and just saw like just like encouraged me so much you yeah. know and that that was just such a new feeling that somebody would just be like no man the way you're doing that the way you're grooving that's just really cool you know he was just so encouraging yeah, yeah. and he was seeing something in me that that was just really i mean it felt like something got awakened you know and, and i have to tell you later on i married him so <laughs> 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 he was he was my teacher but I wanted private lessons if you get my drift you know so <laughs> so um yeah and, and um you know he's my my teacher inspiration to this very day he's a composer now and and also plays bass but um it's that it's so cool. you know it was just that's just something happened in me that I knew that I want I I should say two things happened 
uh, Wolfgang, that's his name, Wolfgang Wine, uh, just being so supportive and encouraging me and, uh, and um, just teaching me and, you know, just really awesome, just musical experiences yeah. together, you know. And then the other thing was that I saw Michelle and Diego cello play because up to that point, I had never seen a woman play. Really? Yeah, and yeah. I felt totally awkward on stage. I felt weird. I felt like everybody's looking at me. I was hiding behind the drummer on my first yeah, couple yeah, of gigs. YouTube didn't exist, so there wasn't this outlet to check out other people that were playing. It was just it yeah. was CDs, wasn't it? Or tapes. Yeah, records, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, totally. And and I felt just awkward and out of place, and I was always the only woman, you know. Uh, and I, when I saw Michelle play, just like, I don't know if you've seen her perform ever, but yeah, she is yeah, just yeah. like this firecracker, you know, really, really small woman, but man, she's got energy, you know, and she was just rocking out and so unapologetic, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I remember at the club she was playing at that was in Austria, a tiny club, and there were maybe 20 people in the audience. It was like embarrassing, you know. Really? But she was out there and she was giving her all and she was funky as heck and I was just that. <laughs> and was this in Vienna? I want that. That was... I may have still been in Innsbruck at the time. I don't even remember. But yeah, I was in Austria. It was a tiny club. And and she was just so awesome. And I, I decided that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. So when I was done with science, I you know, I, fu I fulfilled the family obligation. I figured, you know, I got you, you my degree. You ticked the box. Yeah, you ticked the box. What, and then did you go study music straight away after that? I, I did. I, I while I was still doing biology, I actually went to the private base school in Munich. Yeah. Uh, there was kind of like an MB. What was it called? Uh, base. Uh, the the what's the one called in LA? Lama, and they keep changing their names. But Base Institute LA. There's BIT, BIT and things like that. Things. MIT. Yeah. yeah. It's it was kind of like that, and it was a very very good school. And I did that for a year, and then I figured, you know, I'm gonna try the. You had to pass a test to get into the university. And at, at the time, there were only two or three that would even offer something like electric bass, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I, I did the exams on two of them, and I got in in two. And then I chose Vienna just because log logistically it was easier. Yeah. Um, we had a place to stay there. So, yeah, and then I went to Vienna. And when I was in Vienna, I got a scholarship to the University of Miami. After the second year of studying there, they were giving out these exchange programs, yeah. you know. And uh, so I was going to go to Miami and somebody from Miami was going to come up to, to Austria, which is a great deal because, you know, at, at the time the jazz school was really new. So jazz didn't have so much of a uh, tradition of teaching in Austria, yeah. but classical music did. So somebody who wanted to really be steeped in the classical tradition would come from Miami and I would go down there and study jazz. And then I never left. Yeah. <laughs> so. And Miami is a great university, isn't it? It's a great school amazing what was it and like was, when you got there what was it what was it like when you got there and where were you sort of like your skill skill level where were you at when you actually got to Miami you know I could barely walk a baseline I could barely you know I knew very little about jazz and um, I did have the theory background and in all my classes they put me into advance because I had you know I could figure out what they were asking us to do, you know, yeah. an improv and arranging. I did big band arranging and a modal composition. I mean, that year, I knew I was limited for a year, so I just soaked it up. I mean, I took so many credits, it was ridiculous, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, my friends were always asking, hey, you're in Miami, how's, how's Coconut Grove, you know, and I'm like, 
I have no idea. I haven't left campus. All I'm doing is practicing in my room and Shannon. I'm just like going for it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and it was an incredible year. I mean, I learned so much and everybody was so encouraging and so like, you know, oh, you're amazing, you know, you're, you're like, I remember the improv... <laughs> I guess it was meant as a compliment, but the improv teacher was like, I've never seen a bass player, you know, who can do that, like a bass player for improv, you know. <laughs> so it's really good for a bass player. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, but it, it was it was really an amazing experience, and I, I was going to, like, give it my all. And who, who was teaching there at the time? You know, my bass teacher, the head of the bass department was Don Kaufman, who's still there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had the guy from the Bee Gees, Matt Bonelli. Really, yeah. <laughs> He played with the Bee Gees. Yeah. Um, he was my teacher, and then I had modal composition with Ronnie Miller. I had uh, Witt Seidner, who was the head of the department back then in jazz yeah. piano. Yeah. Um, I had, I mean, they were they're all amazing musicians. Gary Keller doing the improv classes, and then I did, um, I did uh, big band arranging, and God, all these, oh, rhythm section class. That was an interesting one. I mean, if I had to, you know, like you have all these teachers. I'm sure that's the yeah. same for you. You have all the, you know, you have all this education under your, under your belt, and then um, there are these these one spots that you keep coming back to. Yeah, yeah. You know, of people who inspired you, and and there was a class that was called rhythm section class, and a guy was tough. He was really, I mean, he had a reputation, and he was he was tough. And what kind of um, stuff was he making you work on? But well, he was talking about um, how to play effectively in a rhythm section. So, what do you do if somebody solos? You know, how can you use the range of your own instrument or the density of what you play and how you play? How you complement the rhythmic stuff that's going on so that it's best for the for the section, for the whole band, yeah, you know, yeah, for the yeah. audience. And those are things that are rarely talked about. You know, how do you yeah. fit yourself in in with the range, with your phrasing, you know, if the drummer goes to the to the right cymbal, you start playing more legato, you know, so they're just things like that that he would point out. He would always record us and then play it back at you mercilessly. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was a really, really good, good schooling. And who, I, like, in that time, like, I'm not sure whether it changed for you, but who were your influences at that time um, versus who were your influences before and after? Um, you know, it's an, it's always an interesting question for me with influences because I like musically, I'm the bass lines I'm most familiar with is Bach. You know, that's yeah. what I grew up with playing on the piano and just this sort of contrapuntal understanding of yeah. harmony. And I really benefited from that. I mean, it's, it's totally a different style, you know, but I was listening at that time before I got there, I was listening a lot to Beatles. I was listening to a lot of blues and, um, you know, at school, of course, you know, we studied Ron Carter and, and you know, all the, uh, Charlie Hayden and, you know, all of that stuff. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, trying to sound like them and copying their styles and that sort of thing. Um, but, I mean, I was just still so brand new to the styles yeah. and even to, like, rock and pop and funk music in general, you know. Yeah. And for a long, I mean, I feel like a stunted musician because of that in a way, you know, because usually you hear people say, oh, I've been listening to, you know, uh, Chuck Rainey's bass line since I was nine, you know, my yeah, mom yeah, put it, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that just wasn't the case for me, you know, yeah. I was listening to, to, to Bach and stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, 
Yeah, at, the, at that time. And, and, you know, the cool thing about Miami was also the styles were everything. Yeah. I've been to other schools where it was just jazz, you know, or just yeah. bebop, you know. And I was in one school. Improv class was Charlie Parker licks, you know. Yeah, it was yeah, the yeah, Omni yeah. book, you know. Yeah, I had yeah, to learn, yeah. And I understand, I get it, you have to learn the tradition. But, of course, it was taught by a sax player. And that stuff's hard on the upright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, oh, were you playing um, upright as well? I was playing upright as well, yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a teacher in Miami. I'll never forget that. I got in the first class, and today this would probably no longer fly, but I mean, different times back then. But he came in, and he looked in the round, you know, like that. And he was like, there's three things I can't stand. Europeans because they don't swing, you know. And I'm like, okay, shit. <laughs> then, then he goes, um, women because they can't play jazz. And electric bass players, you know, and I was all three. And, and so I'm like, all right, that's a good first day. Um, but what I did was I took up the upright. Yeah. And, you know, because, I mean, he scared me. He really scared me. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, I just went, I'm like, oh, my God, if I want to be authentic, I got to do the real thing. You know, it's wow. like, oh, my God, you know. So I started playing upright. And um, I got myself a school bass, you know, like action like that high. Yeah, 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 yeah. They always are, <laughs> and, aren't they? Oh. And um, and then um, yeah, so I, I I took it up and I did it, and he really respected that. You know, he gave me an A at the end of that, and he really? never yeah. gets an A. You know, so that was cool. So yeah. it worked. <laughs> it worked. It worked. <laughs> what did you learn, like when you picked up the upright? Because I think a lot of guys, you know, they see the upright, and they, you know, they wonder about, oh, should I try it out? Like, what do you think you learned from from taking up the upright and getting more familiar with that territory? So I think I learned a lot about phrasing, you know, especially when you're trying to walk a bass line on the, on the electric. Yeah. I mean, we're really trying to sound like upright. So the way the upright note sustains and stops yeah. is just like a very particular feeling. So I think I, I really benefited from, from that. Um, also, you know, one of my favorite books, you probably know it, is the uh, Richmond Walking yeah, yeah, bass yeah, lines, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, I studied that book a lot at the time with all these rhythmic variations. Yeah. And the, the triplets and the drop downs and all that stuff. And yeah, I really, um, I, I learned a lot from that. So then trying to sound like that on the electric. Yeah, was, I was going to ask you, what, like, did, did you take anything from the, what you were learning on the upright and then transfer it over to the, to the electric? Yeah, yeah, just that, that, that sort of feeling of, you know, the phrasing, I think. And, and also, I knew the, the bass fretboard really well at the time. Yeah. So... Translating that on the upright was actually really easy, and of course they make you do Simandl, and there's good reasoning for that. Yeah. But I, I was just kind of, oh, okay, that's the same thing. It's just different fingering, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I had a really easy time finding the notes. Actually, you know? yeah, kind of sort of like you, was you it more take like, a little intonation, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, was it more of a kind of sort of like a technical thing that you had to figure out on it because yeah. it's physically really different, isn't it? Do you play upright too? I used to play upright. I don't play it anymore. Yeah. Just because I had injuries and, you know, playing injuries and all that. It just, yeah, it didn't make yeah. sense to keep aggravating those. I, I actually had a similar problem with, with my arm last year, so I haven't played for about half a year. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah, I injured my arm, and I think it happened because I, I had an upright gig, and I was kind of overdoing it, and it sort of started a cascade. So, yeah, uprights can be dangerous. Yeah, but. man, like a lot of my friends uh, are, you know, they, they double, they've got... They've got the electric and they've got the upright and, and yeah. all of them talk about just keeping the, 
They say, oh yeah, you can, you can put the, the electric down for a week or so and pick it up and it's fine. But they said, you know, if you do that on an upright, you feel it immediately, you know, just that stamina to be able to play something because it's so physical. And just, just the callus is going away, you know, it's yeah, like it yeah. hurts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like some of my friends, I've seen some disastrous, you know, you know the score, you know. That when Scotch is, tape on Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Tape on their fingers and stuff like that. So when you were in Miami, were you, were you also like transcribing the upright plays as well? Yes, yeah, yeah, we were doing a lot of Ray Brown, and we were doing, oh golly, um, he had us do all sorts of stuff, you know, styles. We did a lot of Jocko on the electric too. He had us. That's also uh, Don Kaufman started me on that solo bass thing. Uh, he he would require from every bass player, which I thought was really, you know, especially now looking back at the time, that was in the late 90s, you know, yeah. uh, he had us do a solo bass piece as part of the test. Right, so yeah. in order to like finish your semester, you had to come up every semester with a piece that's just you on bass. Yeah. And, you know, and that, I loved that. That was such a great challenge, you know, come up like, with some. What, 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 like what electric plays were you transcribing at the time? Um, I was transcribing Chuck Rainey. I was, um, golly, who was I listening to? Um, Marcus. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't remember what else. We were also doing a lot of Latin music at the time. Yeah. But there was a pop project I was in. We did a lot of Nine Inch Nails in one of the projects I was in. You know, so just, I mean, it was everything from blues to funk to pop. Um, and that's what I really loved about that school, you know, it was so stylistically so wide open. Is that important to you? Is that something Carol that you've always Kay tried to do? Also, so. Have you always tried to be really open to different styles of music? Yeah, because I think, especially at that time, I hadn't found myself yet, you know, where I was like going to put my, put my focus on and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and I, at the time, I mean, and I still believe that to be true. In order to make a living at this, you have to be as versatile as possible, you know? Yeah, you absolutely, be, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I just wanted everything, you know? When did the whole two-handed tapping thing start happening? Because if, if, if you're watching this or listening to this and you haven't heard Ariana do the two-hand tapping thing, it's pretty mind-boggling. Oh, my I, gosh. I can't, I can't tap a note. Well, I can do a bad... Not true. <laughs> I could do a bad example of eruption by you know Van Halen. That's about as far as the tapping goes. But where, where did the whole idea come from? Well, yeah, I mean, for one, I was inspired by these guys in Miami, and then I was also really inspired by all these cats like Jeff Schmidt, Michael Mannering, Steve Lawson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, Steve did a clinic in the San Francisco Bay Area that I went to, and he just blew my mind what he could do just with bass alone, you know, yeah. and just the sound of it and the way he was varying it and the whole looping thing. And, you know, so I was just, you know, fuses blown. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know at the time I was really shy about that stuff, you know. I mean, I remember one NAMM show. <laughs> it was funny. I was I was set up with my looper and I was trying to get, you know, some people to come to the Marlowe booth. And so I'm playing my little thing. And then Steve came by and was like, hey, this is really cool. And he, he got at least Klar, you know. He was like, really? Are you yeah. do that again, you know. And I'm like, I'm not playing in front of Lise Klar, you know, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like totally frozen, you know. Um, but I... Yeah, so at, at first I was just doing it for myself, you know. Yeah. It's like my, like, my private say, little oh, thing. Yeah, you mentioned Jeff Smith as well, who's obviously <clears throat> monstrous at it. What, what happened to Jeff Smith? Where is he? I know, it seems like he's dropped off the earth, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. I think he's doing a lot of stuff with radio and composing. 
Um, that was sort of the last thing I heard. He was uh, frightening. Like, amazing, just, amazing player. And then he plays left-handed with the... I mean, he's left-handed, but he plays upside down. And I mean, that alone is just like such a different sound, you know? Yeah. And his um, sound is, is actually quite different, isn't it? It's got this... I can't really describe it, but it doesn't sound like a, a regular bass. He plays piccolo bass as well, doesn't he? And I think so. And he has weird tunings, like completely out. Oh, really? Like, a B flat, A B flat, stuff like that. You know, I mean, amazing. So yeah, he's yeah. like totally out of the box thinker, and yeah. So you know, there was a bit of a scene around solo bass in San Francisco at the time. David Grossman would put on these uh, solo bass shows with typically Michael Manring and Jeff Schmidt, and because um, Jeff Schmidt's from San Francisco, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and he, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just 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 awesome just awesome scene you know that was developing around that and so i was like kind of tinkering but didn't tell anybody and were you living in san francisco at that time yeah 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 i'm in the bay area yeah how did you end up there oh we actually always wanted to go to la that we you know austrian musicians uh you, you know usually go to la or new york oh, really? yeah, and, yeah. and we just kind of got stuck here i mean you know and first we were in miami you know and studying down there and then i went to another school down there in south florida um but i i don't know we just kind of got stuck here and we, we might actually even go to la it's kind of in the air a little bit i know you us. said it was on the cards last year we're tinkering with the idea um it's it's kind of feels funny because we've come so far you know might as well get those 500 miles in as well you know by the way i was interested to hear one of your pod podcasts with another fellow austrian bass player stefan rettenbacher oh yeah yeah yeah, stefan yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I had never heard of him and i was just really curious to hear what he was doing and being in the uk and just being like a total funk cat and just oh, sounded he's, awesome he's yeah. a super super nice guy did, yeah. he, did he study in vienna i think he might have See, I never met him, so it was it was really interesting for me to listen to the interview because I mean, a lot of Austrian musicians leave the country, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, he went to I think Stefan went to Berkeley and then moved to the moved to the UK after that. But he, there's a great story actually in Stefan's when he checked out Jacko. He actually went to the, a Jacko gig. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he said he blew. Re recorded it and then transcribed everything. Listened yeah, yeah, to yeah. it for days. Blew, blew his mind, you know. Like, yeah. Talking about moving to different places, when you got to, so you went to Miami, you did the school thing. Yeah. When you moved to San Francisco, what was that like? Because I know that a lot of people, you know, obviously move around the world and they're musicians and they get to cities, don't know anybody, don't know how to get a gig. You know, yeah. how did that feel when you got to San Francisco and what did you do to get in the scene? Right. So because I know it was, you're busy. I know you're busy. So it's, you know, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was a really a shock to come from Florida and go to the Bay Area because in Florida I had, um, I play upright, I play in big bands, I play, I read. So I had a ton of gigs down there because there's a lot of old folks homes. And so there were a ton of big band gigs, a ton of like backing up comedians. I was gigging all the time yeah. and I was making really good money. I was playing like three, four times a week. Uh, while I was in Florida, and then and when I moved to California, through, did you make the connections through um, through the school? Through the school I think, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, people were just giving out my number, and and then you know, you do one, and then you do two others. I mean, it yeah. was just kind of word of mouth, and there's just a lot of a lot of live music going on. And then I'm coming to the Bay Area, no nobody, <laughs> and you know, our rent tripled, uh, yeah. all the yeah, costs yeah, yeah, tripled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like wow. And um, so at first, I took on a regular job, you know. 
um, and and just you know to to get started and and to, yeah, to uh, you know, get yeah, things yeah. rolling. But then I pretty soon I went to Craigslist and uh, just you know was hitting the phones and um, just trying to check out the sh the scene, going to jam sessions, um, and that was all helpful. And you know you you do a lot of driving in the Bay Area, you stand in a lot of traffic, and you know and then you drive three hours and check it out and you're like, oh no, that's really not something I want to be part of, you yeah, know. Yeah. And the life scene in San Francisco is, is a challenged one. There's some amazing musicians here, but it's really hard to make a living on just playing, you know. That's just really, really hard. And is I got... Is it because there's not, not enough clubs to support the scene? Um, back then it was better than it is now. A lot of clubs have closed, you know, especially with all the with all the tech problems, yeah. you know, that was just a really a, a move out of, of San Francisco and just rents being so crazy, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah, clubs yeah. couldn't sustain it. So they had a lot of uh, a lot of, a lot of great places shut down. So um, it was I mean it would but I, I ended up playing in in a band that had about, you know, a couple of I don't know, 100 gigs a year or something. It was pretty, pretty busy. We were touring a lot, you know, but they were, you know, it was just hard to make a living just on playing. Yeah. So what I started doing was I started to teach. And that's something I've always loved doing anyways. I mean, I love teaching. I was like tutoring while I was in high school, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I just I just love um, learning and, and helping learning. And I was always interested in psychology. So I've dabbled with learning psychology and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, and so, uh, yeah, I started teaching. And, and what also helped is there's a, a really cool scene of women in the San Francisco Bay Area who um, support each other and who do these camps for women. And I got involved in that. And there were a lot of gigs coming from that, um, you know, just people recommending you and, you know. And then also some studio stuff that, that I have done. So, you know, yeah, it's did, just like How long did it take to, to, you know, to sort of like think, yeah, it's working? How long, how long did the fear last for? Oh, uh, how long did the what? The fear last for, like, have I done the right thing? Are oh, the gigs oh. going to come? Like, how long did that last for? Um, it lasted actually quite a while. And also during that time, I had a pretty bad health challenge. So I wasn't even able to do as much outreach as I wanted to. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I, I was, you know, I just was homebound a lot and I couldn't, couldn't get out. A ton. Yeah. So when, if I had my gigs on the weekend with that touring band, that took pretty much all my energy. Yeah, so yeah. for a while, I was kind of like being a little hidden, just teaching a couple of students and just kind of like, you know, treading water. And um, that all changed. And in 2009, when I started, I, I founded a big school in, in my community, a music school. And yeah. I did rock camps there and jazz camps and, you know, jams yeah. and, you know, for the kids and adults and what have you. And that was a real blast. And and that also kind of like, you know, word, word of mouth spreads, you know. Um, and then I got into a cover band um, that does a lot of weddings in Napa. Yeah. And that paid extremely well. So, you yeah. know, it was um, really fun to play and, you know, not low maintenance. You don't have a ton of rehearsals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Once a year we get together, figure out the top 40, you know, what do we have? What's new? You yeah, know, yeah, Lady yeah, Gaga, yeah, yeah. check that out. And, you know, that sort of thing. So, so I was very lucky there. You know, um, so yeah. How long did that feeling last? I mean, it 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 
it lasted for quite a while. I mean, no kidding. You know, you, you have to. Uh, it's a new environment. But I was also, you know, I felt I'm I'm young. I got no family. I got no responsibilities. I mean, I can really go for it. And then you know, the support from my husband, who's a composer. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like kind of like a similar situation. You you know, sometimes you get a ton of gigs and then you don't for a while. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, but he got he got a lot of really great work during the time. So it was kind of it, that was helpful. You know. Yeah. I I think it's, just, it's really interesting because like a lot of my friends have moved like great players like yeah. great players have moved to moved to cities and and ended up moving back because yeah. they just couldn't get it happening and it was nothing to do with their playing level you know it was nothing to do with that at all it was just simply to do with you know paying the rent and how yeah. how long can you go for until you have to mm. you know until you have to bail out and I know that right. a lot of people that are listening to this might have been in a similar, similar situation or are possibly thinking about going into a similar situation, you know? And, like, it's tough to put a time limit on it, isn't it? Like, how long yeah. does it take? You know, how long do you think it took? Like, a, a year? Two years? You know, it's it's hard to say. I'll... I'll um, in 2012, I, I had a different scenario. So when I first came, it was, you know, kind of trickling in and then my husband got good work and then I, you know, I got sick. So I really had a hard time for like two or three years. I was just really not out in the scene much. Yeah. But uh, in 2012, I had a new start and I, I kind of... Um, I had a different attitude. I had come from a gig that had taken me away from my music school. I had shut down my music school and I came back from that gig earlier than planned. And I I found myself in okay, now I'm I'm I have to reinvent myself and I have to do something different if I really want to make a living at this. Yeah. And also my cost had changed, you know, I had more like responsibilities money-wise and so forth. And then I went like actively, okay, I want to be in the scene now. Yeah. And I had this really targeted attitude to to do so, and I just hooked up with. I just told everybody I knew. I was like, "Hey, I'm back, and I'm looking for gigs, and um, you know, I'll play a track for free." That was something I I, I said to people when they would hire me, you know, yeah. for a studio stuff. I'd do a track for free, um, and you know, always be like super over prepared, super punctual, what have you, you know, the regular stuff. And and I. Um, and then at that time it took me maybe three or four months to have a really full gig schedule you yeah, know yeah, yeah. granted of course people already knew me I wasn't gone that long and I was you know people had already known me but at that time I was like I need gigs and I was I it it, it took it took just a few months and then I had a pretty full full gig schedule yeah and, yeah but just um, a ton of networking and just contacts and stuff like that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. but I mean it it's hard and you know I I know that what whatever shtick you have, you know, it's it's just something you wanna you wanna like let people know, you know. And I like I had this shtick with the tapping, but yeah. that that's that's also something I gotta be very careful about because I once got not even let into an audition because I showed up with the six string. Really? You know? Yeah, they were just like, like it's <laughs> like uh oh, oh no no. So I you know I four or five I play whatever the job requires, but you gotta be careful with that sort of thing, you know. And then then you become known, so it can't it can't kind of backfire. It's like oh she's the one with the tapping, you know. It's yeah, like yeah, oh we yeah, don't yeah, want yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, want yeah, the roots yeah, on the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's you, you got to be careful about that. But then at that time, I also started being really committed to that part of me, and I yeah. I met my partner Paul, and and we started tinkering together. You know, and that's when when my duo uh, sort of got born, if you will. Which and is with the the oboe player, right? 
Yes, uh, it's, it's a bassoon. But, bassoon, uh, <laughs> bassoon, oboe bassoon. Oh, it's a double read. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that hookup come? Because he, who's the guys he's played with? Um, oh, he's played with Paul McCandles. He played with the Flectones. He was the Flectones. on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like how did that hookup come up? Well, we both have a very dear friend who's a bass player. Um, his name is Derek Jones. Do you know Derek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a great cat, and he's from Vallejo. And actually, the way I met him is I was on tour in New York, and I get a phone call from a guy. Hey, I'm a Vallejo bass player, and I'm standing in front of your music school, and I just have to talk to the person who did this, you know, because really? Vallejo is kind of like a, a little bit of a more poor town and, yeah. you know, just a bit challenged in, in sort of ways. And I just right smack in the middle, I put this, you know, really cute and beautiful, colorful music school, you yeah. know. So it was so cool to get that phone call, you know. And then we met and we jammed and he just kept going on and on about this guy named Paul Hansen. You know, Paul Hansen is so amazing. He's so incredible. Yeah. You've got to meet him. So I buy all his records and I'm like, holy cow, you know. Oh, he's, just he's phenomenal, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, just an incredible musician. And, and so I, you know, him and I met and we... Um, we started jamming a little bit, you know, just like I did my little tapping stuff and he, you know, with all his effects, you know, he can yeah, get this yeah, yeah. big sound, you know. And so, yeah, we started jamming and uh, we just had, with like, there's something in the sound, man. This is so compatible. This yeah, is just yeah, yeah. amazing, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of like, we haven't stopped since. So. When was that? How long, did, how long ago was that? Do you, uh, that was started? in 2012. And you obviously you're still going now, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We're recording the next album, and we're you know gigging. We have. Yeah, we're we're looking to do a bunch of festivals. We have a a, a booking person now who's wonderful. She's Joan. She's she's on it. So. Um, no, we're it having, always we're helps to have somebody do the booking, doesn't it? It always oh. helps to have somebody do the booking. Yeah, I mean, it's like you have two jobs, you know. It's the same with, we were talking earlier with, like, the book, you know. You put something out and then you think you're done, but it's like, now it starts. Yeah, yeah, now it just starts, yeah, yeah. Hey, to talk yeah. about the book, because that's oh, sure. kind of how, we, we didn't meet because of that, but you had the, when I met you, you were like, it was a year ago, you're like, I've just written this book. You know, yeah. <laughs> hopefully somebody's going to buy it. And then obviously it's blown up over the last year. Um, it has. So if yeah. anybody hasn't heard of it, it's Music Theory for Bass Players. Is that right, the title? Yes. Boom. Music Theory. See, I can't get your name right, Ariana, but I can get the, <laughs> I get the name of the book right. Just, just call me by my book title. Right? <laughs> so first of all, tell us where the idea from, for the book came. You know, when did it kind of hatch, that idea? Sure. I mean, I'm a total Facebook junkie, so I, I think I own just about every <laughs> guilty as charged, Scott. <laughs> okay. Like, that's just one chunk. I'm sitting next to a, a huge I, amount I, of books, yeah. I know. So, um, and you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there, and I really didn't, I mean, I didn't feel like I want to write something just cause or something that's already out there, but there's this, this pattern system that I learned in Munich, um, at the base school in Munich, which was just really logical and oh my god, you know, they had some some slants to this. I mean, the five patterns have been out there. Chuck Scher has taught them a, yeah. a long time and that sort of thing. Just the way they taught them, it was so logical. I mean, I felt like my brain was growing, you know, while yeah, yeah, I was yeah, doing yeah, yeah. that. It was just so intense. So I wanted to, and I just didn't see that explained the way we learned it and the way me and my husband sort of developed it over the years. And I wanted to write a book about that. And as I was in the process of doing that, 
I kept finding myself wanting to use expressions like a major triad or, you know, a scale. And then I thought, well, if people don't know what that is, then I want to have a place to send them to, to say, to say, okay, if you don't know what that is, go to this resource. Yeah. And I was looking for a music theory book that would be bass player friendly. And I mean, um, what I mean by that was just so that it shows you on the fretboard so you can connect it to something you already know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I deeply believe you learn faster if you build it on something you already know. You yeah, know, and yeah, we all listen yeah. to music all the time. And even if you don't know, this is called a major triad, you know. But still, if you hear it, you'll connect to it, you yeah, know. Yeah. And if you played it and every bass player has played a major triad whether yeah, they know yeah. it or not then it's it's just a quicker learning so i was looking for something that would really put music theory on the on the fretboard and not require you to read a bunch of notes yeah. because a lot of theory books you open them up and page one is like this is a whole note this is a half note and page five you're already reading through arpeggios and scales and you know reading on the bass is a very different skill yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, than it is on the piano, you yeah. know, or on a, on another visual instrument because you have every note a bunch of times on yeah. the bass. Yeah, the yeah. piano and the flute, you have it once, you know. So so there's a lot more to reading bass than just, okay, these are the notes, now go, you yeah. know. So to me, reading is extremely important, of course, but it's a different book, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't want to wedge how to read and how to do music theory into one of the same pile, yeah, yeah. you know. Absolutely. And, so, so that was the idea of the book and just really trying to get into a bass player's mindset, which oftentimes is, and that's how I learned bass, you know, I knew how to read music, I knew all that, but when I played in my first band, the guitar player went, poke here, poke here, poke here, you know? Yeah, 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 so yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, like, I'm like poking away and I'm like, oh, okay, I see, that's a, that's a scale, I guess, or a pentatonic, all right, that's popping out, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but... But I mean, it was all shapes and sounds and moving the stuff around, you know. So I wanted to meet bass players there because that's where they're really good at, yeah. you know. Whether they know music theory or not, but that's stuff we usually know. So obviously, um, that the book that you were looking for wasn't there, and that's why you decided to write the book, right? Yeah. And then it was supposed to be an intro to the pattern book, and then I was on page 180, and I figured, <laughs> I can't do this, i got to cap it here. So is that volume two? That's coming? <laughs> it's coming, yeah. It's going to be a while, but it's coming. Um, have you started still. writing it already? Yeah, a little bit, absolutely. I have an outline, I have a lot of stuff together, and I've been teaching that material for a long time, so I have all the fretboard diagrams printed out, and, you know, I use it all the time with my students, so you know. Just so just getting it all, gathering it together, and then getting it edited, and all those fun things that aren't very fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did it take you from when you decided to write the book, how long did it actually take you from that moment to actually standing there with a physical yeah. copy in your hand? It was about two and a half years. So, and it was funny because I kept thinking I'm almost done, right? <laughs> what, what, what I did, and that really helped. I mean, I have so much going on with my bands, my teaching, you know, um, playing and jam sessions I run and what have you. And I don't want to let any of it go. So um, what I did was I had to force myself to do this. And what I, what we would do is me and my husband would grab all the electronics and the bass and whatnot and go to uh, a retreat center. 
And it was funny because they don't allow electronics there. Right? <laughs> so we'd always come like late at night and nobody's yeah, looking, yeah, okay, yeah. now go in and bring the bases in and stuff. <laughs> and, um, but there we were completely uh, not distracted. There's no internet there. Yeah. Uh, it's out in nature. So you're like completely in a different relaxed space already, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so in this distraction-free zone, I mean, I'd get up in the morning, do my workout, and then just write, 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 you know, lunch break, write, write right right till late at night you know and and that just really focused me and it was very expensive to be there too so that gets you going yeah it gets you going yeah you're here for a reason you better get it done (laughs) yeah exactly and so um it was extremely productive but we could only afford to do that like once every two months or so you know and then later on once a month and you know just trying to keep going and keep momentum and and so over the course of two years i wrote it and it was funny because every nam show i was trying to talk to all these publishers right and i'm like how Helen or, you know, I'm almost done. And they're like, well, give us a draft, you know. So I'd give them a draft. And then, of course, there's like 100 pages coming after that, you know. Yeah, and then, yeah, like, yeah. next NAM show, now I'm almost done, you know. Well, yeah, give us yeah, a draft, yeah, you yeah. know. So <laughs> it was just funny, you know. And then when I was actually done, I was quite happy to just do it on my own, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was like, well, I'm done now, but I, I'm already published, you know. <laughs> so you so, did yourself publish it in the end, yeah. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did. And that did was that. a learning curve, you know. What was I, that? I'm glad you did that. Yes, I am. I I really am. I mean, it's just so empowering to be able to have every single piece of the puzzle in your responsibility. You know, if it's an error, it's my error. If it's, you know, we tinkered with the cover of the book for a long time. I got people involved. Which one should A-B testing? You know, which one should I go? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A-B testing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But honestly, I think it's a really great example as well. If anybody, any other... You know, educators are listening to this as like you are a great example of somebody that's, you know, put their heart and soul into something, written a great book and made it work, you know, and and I'm like, I'm all for the self-publishing thing. I'm like, I'm super into it. Yeah. And I did, obviously, yeah. (laughs) And I think, I I just think it's great. You know, the, the internet's just given people so much more power than if you're willing to put the work in as you are. You can really make it work, you know. And now, obviously, you've got your videos on, like, No Treble, and you've been in Bass Musician Magazine and Bass Player, and, you know, you're at NAMM doing the thing for Marlowe, basically. Actually, before we we wrap this up, I've got to ask you about bass gear. I always get told off because I don't ask about bass gear enough. And Uh (laughs) I'm I'm sort of like a super, like, not gearhead, but everybody else that listens is a real gearhead. So what what, what are you using to uh, to create your music? I, I have been with Marlowe for a very, very long time. So he had, uh, I think when I met Gerald, he had just barely started doing the basses. You know, I was looking for a new bass. I was playing Alembic at the time, which was way too head heavy. Whenever I tried to tune the thing, I had to like, where's my G-string, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but beautiful bass. And, um, but, you know, it was very top heavy. And I just was looking for a five string. That was the other reason. And yeah. uh, so I met Gerald and he did this presentation at this little, German music store in Munich, you know, and he was presenting his basses. He was so generous about everything. He was taking the bass apart and showing all the patterns, you know. I mean, he has like all very special ways how the the neck sits into the body. It's very unusual for the sound 
um, transmitting through the wood. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, like a very, a very thought through and just beautiful aesthetics, you know. So I just fell in love with the guy because he's just such a sweetheart, you know, and so open and 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 giving, you know. So we made friends back then, and my husband was like, "This is the base." I mean, he tested all the bases in that store, and they had all sorts of boutique kind of, you know, non-usual and regular and whatnot. He was like, "That's your base." That's There's just something about it, you know. And then meeting Gerald, it was just so cool. And then um, we kind of lost touch for a long time. And so I had one more low bass, and I also played Ken Smith at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, and I had, yeah, that was it. But that was that one bass. And then I... Um, uh, right, the alembic. I couldn't. I couldn't let go of it. So we ripped out the frets and made it fretless <laughs> uh, for a while. So I did that. Um, but um, I ended. So I had one Marlowe bass, and then we kind of lost touch over the years. And then at some point, we. I kind of called him. I needed a part or something. And uh, we were talking. And I was like, "Why don't you come to Nam show?" And he was like, "You know, yeah, it's very expensive to come to Nam." For you know, a builder from Germany, and you know all the tax situations and the yeah, booth and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I said, "I'll help you," you know. And so we reconnected, and um, and uh, I that at that time I really got into his instruments. That's about twelve years ago or so. And uh, you know, I was uh, getting into all the different models, and I'm like, "Oh, okay. I hope if you have one of more like one more of a Fender type sound, which sometimes is needed. You yeah, know, you go yeah. with the Votans, and you know. So now I have seven of them." And uh, yeah, I'm so lucky. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, But I have a six string. I have uh, two Votans, a five string and a four string. I have a regular concert. The concerts I have in four, five and six. And then I have a soprano bass, which are these tiny ones. The little ones. Uh, They're awesome. Yeah. 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 They, They have a very unusual sound. I mean, they're like a real bass, but they sound different, you know, than bass. So, um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I love these bases. They're so comfortable. The neck feels just so logical, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just great. And then my six string, I set it up for tapping. Um, so because do, you have, that's to, do you have to have it quite low? Um, I have it a little lower. I mean, I like to dig in whenever I groove, and there are parts where I do groove yeah. and play regular groove or chords or something. So I do. I don't like it too low, but I have thinner strings on it okay. uh, for the tapping, and it's a little lower than my regular basses. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I also have a fretless that Fibonacci made for me. I don't know if you know those guys. What, they're out of hand. Like? My friend's got a guitar by these guys. They they it's it looks amazing. What's the what are the basses like? incredible really? that bass has a sustain it's unreal and uh, i mean it's just forever you know and there's just something about that bass just the way the uh the response is you know how on a fretless you really want to shape the tone yeah, you yeah, know yeah. and i don't play a ton of fretless but uh man this bass is just you know it's so responsive where did you hook up with them That's- guys at now at NAM, and it was the funniest thing because they met me, and I think it was their first NAM show, and they were like, they I jammed with um now I'm blanking on his name, the one armed bass player. Oh, the Clemens. Guys. Uh, Bob, yeah. Bob? Bill, Bill, Bill Clemens. Bill Clemens, yeah. Bill. Not Ian, okay. Different <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, him and I, we jammed at their booth and afterwards they, they came over to me and it's like, we want to build you a base. And I'm like, you guys, that's amazing. But, you know, and I thought, right, they're just saying that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But the next NAM show, they come and give me the seven string monster. And I'm like, guys, I do not play seven string. That's so awfully nice of you, but don't do that because yeah, 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 yeah. it will be lost on me, you know? And, um, and then... 
they were like, well, what would you like? And then I said, well, I don't have a fretless right now. Yeah. Because I sold that four-string Alembic that had ripped the frets out. And then they were um, they they were like, okay, you know, and then I forgot all about it. And they, then they come the next NAMM show and had built this incredible thing for me where um, Attila was telling me he's the head of the company or was at the time. And he, he said the guys were like, listen, apparently there's something you can do with the wood to make sure that the, the, the points of resonance are at a certain spot in the neck. Really? So you can like listen to the wood. Yeah, he said they were sitting for hours to try to find just the optimal spot where um, where the resonance would meet because then you get more sustain, you it's know. And I mean, you can, it? it's amazing. I'm, it was just blew my mind. So uh, that was that was incredible. And I'm it's gonna a really check them out, man. I'm gonna have to check them out because my friend's got, as I said, he's got a guitar. And it looks absolutely, like it sounds killing, but it looks amazing as well. What about amps? Like, what amps are you using? Okay, I'm with TC Electronic these days. Yeah. I have sort of had a journey. I, I was with David Eden for a while. Um, really like their sound. Um, I, I love TC. I love their pedals. Um, yeah. I have actually a setup of two amps. And I'm very bad with numbers. BG, I forget what they are, but they're... <laughs> It's terrible. Sorry, <laughs> I can't remember numbers. Um, but I have I have a dual setup because sometimes with Paul I like to go stereo. Right, you know when, when we do like ping pong effects or something. Stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ex exactly. So I have I have a dual setup and. Um, and what pedals are you using? I have uh, their delay pedal. I have all three of their delay pedals. The really mini one, which is awesome because it's it's just it's under a hundred bucks. I mean it's yeah, eighty yeah, bucks or yeah, something, yeah. and it's great little the delay pedal. The blue one, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then I have the big one, the or the flashback, the with the three where you can loop and where you can put different, um, you can pre put presets in. Yeah, yeah. And then I also have their old TC electronic, um, um, uh, what's it called, uh, Echo or something. Um, I'm bad with these names, but anyway, so I, I use that, and then I also use MXR. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love their 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 fuzz and the, you know Daryl yeah yeah Daryl's a great guy. I think Daryl might be the most known known like like person in the bass industry <laughs> in the everybody I speak to. Everybody knows like, Daryl. Yeah, I, I'm using this MXR. I'm like you know Daryl right? <laughs> Everybody's like yeah Daryl yeah yeah yeah. Everybody knows Daryl. Everybody yeah, loves yeah. Daryl. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and what else do I have? I have a. Um, uh, a Pictronics looper, and I also have a Pictronics. Oh, I love the Pictronics stuff. Now, full disclosure, I've never tried anything, but I just love the way they look. <laughs> and they're called Pictronics. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but but the, their looper, man, it sounds so good. It, yeah. I used to use my little boss, you know, I had a, a setup of two boss pedals, and then I got into the big one for a while because I sometimes need more than one loop, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. So, uh, but, but man, that thing is just killer. It, the sound, it sounds better when you're looping than when you don't, you know, really, yeah. <laughs> it's just the way it comes back. And can back you alter the level and stuff like that when it's, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to complete control over both of the loops. You can record two loops. You can also record, pre-record loops. You can hook it up to the computer and can do all sorts of fancy stuff there. Um, so you can like put right, like complete background tracks into the yeah, thing. If yeah, you yeah, yeah, to, yeah. You know? Oh, really? And yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's very intuitive to run. The only problem I have with it, usually I had play on the left and record and all that and then stop on the right and on this yeah. one the buttons are reversed <laughs> you know when you're used to one thing and it's like part of your makeup to push the left button it's like yeah great when you're doing life looping but <laughs> is that what you use for your looping all the time is that pigtronics yeah i'm sorry what do you use the pigtronic is that sort of like your main looper have you got other ones because i know some of the tc like the flashback has a looper in it and stuff like that but it's all the looping that you do through the pigtronics uh, yeah, it is. It's just sometimes I'm lazy and when I, I don't want to bring my big pedal board, I'm like, that's so crazy. I have a big pedal board, a small pedal board, and then just a looper, you know, and it <laughs> depends on what kind of gig it is. You know, sometimes I toss the looper in just thinking, well, maybe there's an opportunity to do something or so, you know, I don't want to bring the whole rig. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm lazy and then I always have to think, you know, it's like, which pedal is played? Stop. You know? If you were going to a gig and you could only take one pedal with you, not including a tuner, what would it be? Ooh, if it's a gig gig, uh, it would be my MXR, uh, what's it called, the, the, the phaser, the, the, the one that makes it so funky, what's it called? Envelope um, filter. Thank you, sir. Yes. Um, so the dark blue one. And yeah, I, would, I, would, I would do that, yeah, you know, yeah. it, just because it's a band context. So and if it, wasn't, you and if it a, wasn't a band context, what would you take? Then I would take a looper because if somebody asks you to do something solo, then, you know, or maybe my reverb pedal. I have a nice EBS reverb pedal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, that's, that's always just nice to have for the sound when yeah. you do solo. Like Steve Lawson, just like with his reverbs, I don't even know what to say about it. He's just got this yeah. freaky ass knowledge about reverbs and how you use them. And like yeah. he, he came here and he was talking us through all the reverbs and different ones he was using. And I have this same pedal. <laughs> I was trying to get that sound. Could I figure out how to do it? I was just like, come on. <laughs> I'm literally going to get up here again and just sit him down and say, just teach me that. Like, what are you doing there? Yeah. What is Steve using for looping these days? Because he used to use the looperlative. Same thing, I think. Oh, is that what he's... Okay, because I wasn't sure they were going to come out with a pedal for a while. Yeah. And I, I really wanted that, but then I kind of lost track of where they are with that. I so. think he said that they're going to make it again. That could be a complete lie. <laughs> I'm going to send like thousands of bass players looking for this, this thing that's not going to get made again. I'm sure he said that they were bringing it back into production. But if you're okay. listening to that, it could be a complete lie. Apologies yeah. if they're not. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Bob makes amazing amazing stuff so yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's crazy isn't it ariana before we go if if you were working with a student and they said to you look i'm really trying to push my bass playing to the next level what is one of the fundamental things i can work on to push my bass playing to that next level and help me get there what would that be for you Oh boy, you what know, you that really me? depends on the student. I mean, one thing that I think is really, really important is technique, good technique, because, you, you know, oftentimes players who have played for a long time, they may have like a, a habit that doesn't serve them so well. Yeah. So I always think um, technique is a really great place to take a deep look at, you know, is it, you know, serving you what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, to me, as I mean, I know my next level is always, you know, the thing where, um, it's it's like there's this cliff that you can just barely hang on, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, but if you yeah. do too much, you're going to fall, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to me, the challenge is always where is that cliff, you know? What can you scale? If, if you're falling, what element can you take out? 
You know, like yeah. for example, you're able to. Um, I just had a student yesterday on Skype. He was doing so great with like playing a groove on time, but whenever a certain shift came, he would you know falter. So you take the timing way down, you take the metronome way down, and then you you know you do it slow just for that bit, and yeah, then you yeah, speed yeah, that yeah. up and let everything go. So it's like I was finding like what's the weak link. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And I find oftentimes it's technique, bad fingering habits, or just bad habits with your, you know, with you, however you use your right hand, left hand, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just what you're saying there, it's like you've got headroom, haven't you? And you just like, you need to find where that headroom is before you. You right. want, you want you, you, maximum headroom before you yeah. kind of sort of like fall off the cliff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Ariana, and just 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 to give myself a bit of prop, props there, I'm pronouncing your name right there. Boom. Uh, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today, guys. All for Ariane's book and all the other links, uh, duo, and I'm going to put some links as well to videos in the show notes. Um, all that stuff will be in the show notes on the page. So if you're listening to this on iTunes, obviously go to I, you know go to the website scottspacelessons.com podcast and you'll find Ariana's podcast episode there. Um, if if you're on the website, listen to this already. All the links are down below. Ariana, thank you. You're bloody awesome. Cheers. Love. Can't can't let you go before saying a big thank you to you, man, because you've inspired me so much with keeping going with my book and and everything I'm doing online. So I just really wanna wanna thank you. And your stuff's fantastic. I hang out on your site all the time. It's like so much fun and a lot to learn. So thank you, man. You are too kind, <laughs> guys. Ariana Cap. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, guys, hopefully you enjoyed that interview with Ariana. Um, if you want to check out any of her books and stuff like that, I've put links in the show notes. So just go over to scottspacelessons.com, go to the podcast, and you'll find it there. And remember, if you're an Academy member, you can watch the entire video version of that interview as well. Plus, you can go to the Academy Seminar Archive and check out all of Ariana's past live stream seminars she's done for the Academy members. She's done a ton of cool stuff, so make sure you go and check it out. And if you're not an Academy member already, get on it. Come and join the party. The Academy at the Scott Space Essence is the best online learning platform for bass players in the world. The step-by-step courses, live seminars every week, the largest online bass educational community in the world, and tons more. Plus, you can take a completely free 14-day trial just to see if it's for you. Take it for a test drive. Come and join the party, as I said. Now, next week, we have got one of my favourite bass educators of all time. In fact, he really... Um, was the guy behind igniting why I really got into bass education. It's Ed Friedland, um, the most published bass author of all time and obviously bass player for the Mavericks. Um, He gives a killer interview and as always, he always delivers a ton of value as well. And if you're an Academy member, guys, make sure you check out Ed's live seminar that he did for SBL Live 2016. It's probably one of the best seminars that I've ever seen anybody deliver. He really gets to the the nuts and bolts of what should, we should be concentrating on, and it's really, really great. So go to the seminar archive and check that out. It's the the seminar that he did during SBL Live 2016. It's super awesome. As always, guys, take it easy, and I'll see you in the shed. <laughs>